Today we come to the end of our series called The End in the Beginning. Today is the last of an eight-week series. We've been talking about for several weeks things coming to an end and launching us into a new beginning. That's the concept from uh, disobedience to obedience, from truth to, to, to falsehoods, from un unforgiveness to forgiveness and healing from being wounded. We've gone through a bunch of these beginning and the ends. And listen to what God says through the prophet Isaiah. It's a powerful verse, 46.10. This has been our memory verse for eight weeks. It says, I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times and ancient times from when it's still to come, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish my good pleasures. I love the power of that verse, that I have a father that can, when I seem like I'm at the end of my rope, start something new. That he can do great things in the past and he's got great things in the future. And here's the thing that I've been thinking about. God's focused on his good pleasure. You know, church is not about you. We've made it the last 30 years about you and how you feel. And it's a, we call sermontainment, right? Where it's entertaining and I've got a disciple and we've got a challenge and we've got to grow and we've got to have salvation. And there's got to be wisdom and knowledge and it's got to be for new believers all in 27 minutes. But church is not about you, and it's about pleasing God. Worship's not about you, it's about pleasing God. The way that we celebrate church should be about God, and we've turned it into about us, and that's why we struggle today in the church. That's why Christianity is dying. That's why churches in Camarillo were closing, because we've made it about us, and we're walking out of the will of God. Today, as we conclude our end and the beginning sermon series, we're going to talk about frustration to fulfillment. Anybody got frustrations? Yeah. If you don't, you're lying. Well, I've seen a couple of you pull in the driveway here. A lot of frustration just getting to that parking lot. So we have a lot of frustration. And when we look to the Bible, Jesus has some frustrations. Have you ever looked at some of that? There's a couple times when he's in a boat and he's frustrated. At one point he's sleeping and the, the waves and the storm's coming and he, he kind of gets woken up. First of all, that's frustrating. <laughs> Anybody getting woken up and have to go to work or something, that's frustrating. Jesus gets woken up and he's like, you have little faith. Calms the storms, but he's frustrated with his people. He's like, I've taught you all of this and you still won't pray to the Father and ask for him to save you. There's another time where Peter's in the boat, and he walks on water, and Jesus is all excited, and then Peter kind of takes his eyes off the ball, off Jesus, and he falls, and he says, you have little faith. And he's frustrated. It's like, why can't we get to that level? Another place is when Jesus is on the mountain with the, his three disciples, and there's this story of the transfiguration where uh, Elijah and Moses and Jesus are up there, and God shows up. And as he walks down to the mountain, he calls us a perverse nation. Because people down there are like, why can't your disciples do the work that you're doing? And Jesus was frustrated. And he was like, I can't believe I'm living in this perverse, unfaithful nation. How long, Lord, am I going to have to be in this place? And then right after the triumphant entry, as he walks into, uh, into Jerusalem, we see Jesus into the temple. And he starts to turn tables over. And I'm just going to read this. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. And he knocked over the tables of money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, the scripture declares my temple will be called a house of prayer. In one text it will say, worship and prayer. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. And he was purifying and cleansing the temple because he was walking to his perfect death. 
so that we can be made right. And he was cleaning house, but he was frustrated. He was angered. I love this story because ministry's tough. Ministry's hard and it's tough to deal with and it's frustrating. You get calls at all hours and people go to the hospital and people don't die between 9 and 5. Right? You get calls at 11 o'clock at night like last night. It's hard. And Jesus understands it. But here's the problem. Jesus' frustration, Jesus' anger, it's justified. Mine, I'm just selfish. I just want to go to bed. But we have frustrations. And my frustration and anger versus Jesus's, mine is about me and my egocentric mindset. And we struggle with anger and frustration because we are truly selfish. Everything revolves around me, myself, and I, my wants, my will, my desire, my needs. And we try and justify them. Don't we justify a lot? Man, isn't Jesus, he was angry. I could be a little bit angry. Jesus had good anger. Our anger was unrighteous. We try and make ourselves righteous. Today I want to go to a place and just read a little bit. There's just a couple of sentences of Jesus reading about anger in Matthew chapter 5. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're able to stand at our church, what we do here is we believe in the power of God. And that his word can redeem us. I know that I've been steadfast in his word for many years. And it's changed me from a drug addict, alcoholic, to someone locked up into a man that's a more respectable human being with a lot of growth that I still have ahead of me. Here's what Jesus says. He's now talked about the Beatitudes and these attitudes and actions as Christians. And now he's teaching people like you and I what to deal with, with anger. There's not much here, but we can find some ways to deal with frustration. Here's what it says. This is from the NLT. It says, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say... If you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fire of hell. That's harsh. It's a lot different than just saying, oh, I'm going to kill you and then kill. It's actually saying there's a deeper work here that we need to deal with. So let's spend some time in prayer. Our church is built up in three sections. We have three sections of the church that have been praying for months and years. We pray for salvation in this section, revelation in this section, and transformation week in and week out so that our church is transformed. So let's pray and watch God on Father's Day bring an anointing to all of us. Father, we come before you and we thank you for what you've done. We thank you that even if we were raised with an evil, mean father, that you have blessed us with your love and your fatherhood. And Lord, we thank you for the good fathers that have been out there. And we ask today that you bring all of us, man, woman, and child, to your glory room. To that spot where we feel fulfilled and holy and righteous with you. Free from anger and frustration, Lord. Give us tools today so that we can walk in a newness with you. We thank you, King Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and be seated. In the Bible, there seems to be two types of anger. There's Jesus' anger, God's wrath, and then human anger. And here's what some of the text says. If you have a Bible and there's these these, uh, numbers and, and, and letters in the middle of your concordance, it tells you a couple of verses that relates to this. And one of the first verses is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. And it says, in your anger, seems like it's good, don't let, uh, 
don't, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still, still angry. One of the first ways of anger, it's like, I could be angry, but don't let it turn into sin. Have you ever seen your anger go from 0 to 180 pretty quickly, and it turns into something unholy and unrighteous? That's what it says. Listen to what James writes. James chapter 1, verse 20, it says, Human anger does not produce righteousness that God's, God desires. Human anger is devastating. Human frustration and anger will take us right out of the will of God and away from what we're trying to do and into the hands of the enemy, into the hands of Satan. At one point, Solomon, King Solomon, David's son, wrote this book. He went out and just lived a selfish life for 10 or 15 years. And at the end, he wrote this market analysis or this marketing report. And he says, and it's all meaningless. And in the middle of this book, he writes about anger. He says, control your temper for your anger labels you as a fool. Any fools in the room? I've got, uh, a couple weeks ago, I had to come off of Wednesday night service and go before one of my kids and say, I'm sorry. You know, my anger and my frustration of life, and it had nothing to do with that moment. It was stuff that happened in the past came out at the wrong time. And you have to bring yourself and say, I no longer want to be a fool. Lord, I want to be fulfilled. And the only way to do that, dads, moms, children, is to humble yourself before the Lord. Accept your lumps. Accept your issue. And come before God. And the truth is, I went from a fool to fulfilled. And God was really there and present. And he wants that in our life. Uh, I found five reasons that we are frustrated. And I want to use those. And if, they're, if you don't have them on your notes, I put some area to write them down. They're also on your notes online. You can go to your uh, app, store, app store and iTunes. Or you can go to Google Play and you can download Journey the Church Camarillo. And it's all on our app if you don't have it and you don't want to write it down. But here's five areas that we're frustrated. First reason that we're frustrated is we are not getting what we want. Very easy, very common. It says many of our frustrations are, are simply from not getting what we want. You guys remember seeing that kid in the grocery store at Target when he wants a toy and he doesn't get the toy? There's a couple in here. I saw you there a couple weeks ago. I want, I want, I want. And then what happens is at an early age, that kid learns to control the scene and they make a scene, and that controlling behavior creates frustration for the parent to the point, oh, just grab it. I don't care if it's $480. <laughs> it started out with a little rubble ball. If I would have just said yes to that, now I'm buying a PlayStation. When we are we're in this want mode, we are controlling. I want, I want, and so I start to control. Control is frustration. If you are a controlling person, and I know there's a few out there, I, I have some controlling tendencies in my life. When, when I'm trying to control, I'm in a, a level of frustration and anger because you guys are uncontrollable. Yeah, it's hard. And that's a place. So the, the, the mode of these five things is I need to ask, I need to consider, and I need to trust. Ask, what do I want that I'm not getting? I got to ask myself, what do I want? And you got to have this conversation, this personal conversation as you're driving to work or school or you're in this quiet time. What do I want that I'm not getting? Then you need to consider, am I trying to make things happen to get what I want? Yeah. That's going to be frustrating. Am I trying to make things um, happen so that I can get what I want? And the bigger thought is, can I let that go? 
And that moment of trust comes in where you're like, I got to release this to God, knowing that, that he, I can trust God because he knows what I want and I, my desire. He will fulfill my wants and my desire. A couple of years ago, I started playing golf again after laying it down for like 10 years. And I remember being on the golf course once and kind of weeping a little bit because the Lord knows he doesn't really care about golf. I mean, it is the U.S. Open, so I mean. <laughs> but he cares about me. And he wants to fulfill my wants because he loves me. When I'm doing his work, he wants to fulfill what I love. Fishing or surfing or golfing or, or building. He wants that for all of us. If it's not selfish and controlling. The first thing is we aren't getting what we want. That creates frustration. The second thing is it's a different one. It's about needs. That's different than wants. It's about needs. We aren't getting what we need. Each of us have various levels of different emotional and relational needs, such as security, approval, safety, support, etc. We have these desires. We are created by this relational God to need each other and provide needs for others. We have this relational God and we need others and we need, uh, we need to help others. When our needs go unmet, we, we get into this mindset, well, I need to take from other people to fulfill my needs. That's not God's plan. God never meant for us to fulfill our needs by taking from another person. What is the ask? What need do I have which I'm not getting? And am I taking from others to get in order to get what I need to be fulfilled. Those are two questions. Usually you're on one side or the other. And you have to have what I call contemplation. God has taught me a long time ago that I got to contemplate these things and ask. Here's the consideration. How, my, how God might desire to fulfill your needs supernaturally through him. You know, God has done great and amazing things. I can write a book on the supernatural things that God has got, given my life. Financially, tens of thousands of dollars given to my family at just the right time. A couple of checks of tens of thousands of dollars. That's great, but that's not been the best thing. It's at the right time he's covered my children, covered me and my wife as we've gone through some tough seasons and times. There's been grace multiple times, and it's happened. It's done supernaturally. How might God do that? Well, here's one of the solutions in the next consideration. How might you meet the other needs, uh, needs of other people? God told me a long time ago through another mentor of mine that he said, if I meet the needs of other people, God will meet not my needs more than I could ever imagine. And so I got to get out of self and work on other people's needs and make their, them a priority. And somehow, some way, supernaturally, the Lord comes down and speaks into my needs and builds me up and says, either you don't need that, Jeff, or I'm going to provide that for you. The trust is trust that God knows your needs and he's able to fulfill them. It's easy to say that's really hard to do because he doesn't realize that my bank account's got three overdrafts. My house is on the verge. The car's breaking down. But I got to trust that he's able to fulfill them. The third one is unhealthy expectations. You know, I was told a long time ago, God's in the result business. Get out of the expectation business. God's into results. But he does that, and it's his job to fulfill that. It's not my expectations that are going to get the results. It's God. Sometimes we are frustrated because we don't meet our, ex people don't meet our expectations. Can I get an amen? 
or they don't understand our expectations. And what I found out is communication is the key to that. you got to communicate your expectations. Too often we come short to communicating exactly what our expectations are. You also need to realize that goals and expectations aren't the same. A lot of times we bring them together, but they're completely different. Let me give you uh, the reason why. First of all, goals are planned out, but they're flexible. If you ever had a goal, I'm like, I'm going to become a doctor, or I'm going to go to Bible college, or I'm going to become this or do that. I'm going to get a car, I'm going to buy a house, and you got a goal. But the plan kind of meanders, right? One day it should get there, but i got a goal, but it's flexible. Expectation, on the other hand, it's different. Expectation or wants or needs without really a plan. I just, well, I want a Lamborghini. If somebody wants to pull one up, I'll take it. I have no idea how to get there, and I'd be too afraid to drive it because I couldn't afford it. Couldn't afford the tire, let alone the car. I have expectations, but I really have no way to meet them. Here's the ask. Have I communicated my expectations clearly? Do others agree with my expectations? No. Are my expectations reasonable? You know, one of the things that I am, I don't know if you've ever texted me recently, but if, if you get three words, I've really hit it hard. Three-word text, I mean, like, that. yes, no, I think so. That's a good one for me. And then if you've ever received an email that's about something important, if I'm on the third sentence, I've really thought through this process. I am so into time and energy, uh, less energy that I don't think through it. And because of that, my expectations aren't met because I haven't communicated them. So I need to consider reevaluating expectations in light of the needs and wants of others. The second part is how an expectation may be needed to be lowered to achieve the goal. You know, sometimes we haven't achieved goals because our expectations are so high they're unachievable. And if you look back at your life and started to look at goals, you would see, man, each time I lowered the bar a little bit on my expectations, I start knocking goals off one by one. The trust part is God's wisdom, God's wisdom to reveal uh, needed adjustments to expectations. God's ability to fulfill what is truly necessary. God can help you in that process. Number four, this is probably the number one issue, unhealthy boundaries. I do a lot of relationship counseling. I love it. I love one-on-one -on -one communication. I love two-on-one -on -one and talking about problems. And most of the time, it's because of unhealthy boundaries. Somewhere in the Christian gospel, pastors and church leaders have got this wrong. That all I have to do as a Christian is accept anything from anybody at all times. And that's good Christian. Wow, what a great Christian. You're just like a doormat. Praise Jesus. I raise a hallelujah. I'm your walking doormat. And that's what we live as a Christian. Oh, what a good Christian. Does not Jesus in his frustration create boundaries in the synagogue and with his disciples in his frustration? At the moment of his anger, he's like, what's going on? Here's the boundaries. Here's how I want you to engage my father. Here's what I want you to do. Boundaries are critical to our action and to our life. Boundaries help us identify what belongs to us and what belongs to other people, such as feelings, desires, and thoughts and behaviors. When we don't have healthy boundaries, we don't make healthy choices and decisions. So what do we do? We need to make better boundaries in our life. Here's the, here's the ask. Am I taking responsibility for something that is not mine? That's the first one. Or the other side, am I trying to get another person to take my responsibility, to take my stuff? 
You're on one side or the other. And if you have those unhealthy boundaries, you're in that place. And because of that, you're being frustrated. And you're not going to achieve that frustration or that, that fulfillment because you're stuck. Consider evaluating, uh, evaluate possible unhealthy boundaries and choose to implement changes. I don't know. There's a couple of great books from Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. Townsend that help us with boundaries. And my suggestion is start to read them and then ask somebody to guide you through that text. Because the boundaries will transform you. When you have healthy boundaries and you put them up in your life, people can only come at you in the way that you have allowed yourself, allowed them to come to you. Healthy boundaries transform and change us. God's wisdom and plan has, is about healthy boundaries in your and my life. Here's the last one is, you know what? We have uncared hurts in our life. I hate to say this, but all of us are just so broken. And we don't like to talk about it. Even if you had that leave it to beaver lifestyle, which I see a couple of you out there that did. You still have moments of brokenness in life, and it might not be yours. Maybe it's somebody else's, but it's still broken. We have a bunch of uncared-for wounds. Our society is wounded. Hence, our American dream might be wounded and hijacked, and it might create frustration and anger because of it as we are trying to achieve it. Sometimes we're just so hurt that we we act and react poorly because of a pain that happened Six weeks ago, six months ago, six years ago, 60 years ago, and it keeps coming back because of that pain that's inside of me, that's deep within me. And all of a sudden, a word comes and it triggers me, and all of a sudden, I'm a volcano. I'm like, man, I thought I dealt with that. God's like, not yet, because you haven't really allowed yourself to uncover that pain. So what do we do? You need to ask, is there any underlying causes that are helping me act out or making me act out? That's one of the asks. Am I reacting out of pain? Once again, I'm asking. And, and here's the best one is, God, what's the plan for my healing and for my heart? I got to ask that regularly. And, and consider spending time in prayer and talking to God and really contemplating and thinking, asking him to reveal uncared wounds recently uh my wife said something to me that we've never talked about when we're a pretty open conversation type of couple and she revealed something and she'd never said it out loud i think we knew it and it just got uncovered and partly because my daughters are interceding and praying for our family to be whole and it was really cool ask him to spend time in those places regularly invite safe people safe people into your life, and let them help you work through that uncared for hurt. Seek healing, and I promise you, you will watch God do wonderful things in your life. And the trust part is God knows your pain. He knows your wounds, and he really wants you to verbalize them so that he can transform them through his grace and mercy. The next part or the end of this section where Jesus is teaching us about anger comes from Matthew, the, the rest of the verse. And it talks about what do you do now? Here's what it says. If you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and suddenly you remember that someone has uh, something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and reconcile that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice. And without getting too deep into what that meaning is, here's what I learned. Somebody taught me a long time ago. Keep your personal accounts short. Keep your personal accounts short. Whatever relationships that are important to you, make sure that you keep them short. 
in record. And we can get into the whole theological stuff, but I really want to get to the fulfillment part. Because we've been talking about frustration. The American dream can create frustration. Marriage, can I raise a hallelujah, can create frustration. And kids, man, they are so cute. But they grow up to be monsters. Not you guys. You guys are good. But, uh, but it's hard. This world is hard. And we need to understand that so that we don't live in frustration and anger, but we live in the fulfillment of who God is. We all have frustrations, relationship frustrations. We have them all over. We have sexual frustrations. I know we can't say that in church, but it's true. I don't know how they measured this, but there was an article, you can look it up on Google, that said 2018 was the largest sexual frustrated year ever. I don't know how you measure that, but somebody... <laughs> Whoever did the research on that one was fantastic. <laughs> wow. I just stay focused, Jeff. Stay focused. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> okay, back to you guys. <laughs> we have emotional frustration. You know how many times do our emotions take us to that level? Especially when we're hurt and we're struggling. You know how many times a church emotionally hurts us and we have no idea forgive me i want you to just receive forgiveness from a pastor if you've been hurt by a church there's been pain because of a pastor i promise you most of us not all of us but most of us didn't do it intentionally and we need to understand that we have personal frustrations, physical, mental, spiritual. Why am I not like that spiritual giant over there? I believe, I read, I devote, I raise a hallelujah, I put my hands up occasionally, I come before prayer. Why am I not there? We struggle spiritually. The question is, to be fulfilled, where do you find your significance, your security, and self-worth? They did an interview recently in Christianity Today, and here's what most of the answers came up. This was overwhelming. Where are your significant, where are you significant security and self-worth? Look at the stuff. My work, my husband, my wife, my girlfriend, my children, my money, my boyfriend, my investments, good deeds, degrees, child success, accomplishments, awards, appearance, friends, possessions, my abilities, my parents. Here's what I found out. People, places, and things will not create fullness in your life. They're actually going to hurt you. Here's what Gary Smiley writes. Smalley, he says, this is beautiful. This is probably one of the greatest verses because I teach a lot from the pulpit. Pe pe people, places, and things are not going to fulfill you. But here's what he writes. He says, people, places, and things are gifts of life, not the source of life. Man, that is cool. That is really cool. It's the gift of life. I've got great relationships with my wife and my parents and my kids and some of you. Not all of you, but some of you. And they're a gift, but it's not the source of life. The source of life is something completely different. And I've got this heart, and I'm sure your heart is the same. And in that heart, there's something missing, and it had been missing for years. And I kept feeling that puzzle piece. I would try and create it myself with other things, drugs and alcohol and sex and, and uh, playtime and whatever, jobs and money and career. And it never really worked, even when I would try and make it myself, because it wasn't 
able to be fixed by me. It was only to be fixed in my significance or my security or my identity or self-worth in Jesus Christ. I'm going to create a guy named Jason Mars. Only a few of you that are under 30 would know him. But he's got some great music. Uh, my daughters and me used to crank it. And uh, he's a singer-songwriter, really awesome guy. Uh, but here's what he writes about this. Listen to this verse. He says, transformation is my favorite game. Mine too. And in my experience, anger and frustration are a result of not being authentic somewhere in your life or with someone in your life. Being fake about anything creates a block inside of you. Life can't work for you if you don't show up as you. Transformation is only good when you come to the table as you are and who you are. And not angered and frustrated and fake. How many times have you been angered with someone and you walk up? Oh my gosh, hi, it's so good to see you. And you're gritting your back teeth going, I'm not going to say it. I was going to say something to my mom, but I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> we get to that place. So how do we become fulfilled? You know how much scripture is in the Bible that talk about the fulfillment? But really, if you look at Psalms, Psalms are beautiful things because they deal with our emotions and, and, our, and our, our, our mindset. And we've got a few psalmists that really hit home in our emotions. And there's a lot of psalms that are angry and sad, and those are appropriate emotions. It's okay to be angry. I was taught it's okay to be angry as long as you don't give up on God. And even if you're angry with God, you continue to seek him. Like, Lord, I'm so frustrated, and I'm so angry at you, but I'm not going to give up because I know you're good. It's just me. It's not you. Listen to what Psalm 1, verse 1 says. This is a different translation, but I think it said, uh, uh, says a lot. It says, blessed is the man or the person who does not follow the advice of the wicked and take path the pass of sinners or join the company of mockers rather he delights in the teachings of the lord and reflects the, uh, on his teaching day and night blessed is those that don't follow a group of people into an american dream leading you away from the the will and, and the holiness of god what we need to do is modify our mindset as I'm in frustration and I'm in anger and fear that I'm dwelling on the Lord constantly, morning, noon, and night. God loves it when you talk to him at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And if you could do a little better than rub-a-dub-dug, give me the food and grub, it's a little bit better, better relationship. The truth is he wants us to communicate. And it says dwell and think and talk and, and, and communicate. And it says, that, that blessed person says he was like a tree planted by, beside streams, a tree that produces fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. He succeeds in everything he does. When, you're, when we are out of frustration and out of anger and are dealing with it healthily, we are actually succeeding and we're growing and we're becoming more fulfilled in who we are. The perfect American dream has God right in the middle of it and Jesus Christ, our Savior, right at the forefront. And those that live a perfect American dream put Christ right in the middle. And they might not achieve the mansion in Spanish Hills or the Lamborghini. They might be in an apartment with their kids, but they love their, each other. They're happy and they're dealing with life on life's term. And Jesus starts to flow out into the byways and highways because of who they are and what they are. 
I've always communicated to people that my family, and I got a little Kardashian girls in my life. I got three girls, and they're all good. They're not here. They'll be in second service. Um, but I know this, that if we had to get down to a one-bedroom apartment, that we would be able to do it because we care about each other, and we have Christ as the forefront. Well, we could, might make it almost three days. I mean, <laughs> You guys got to meet my girls. You laugh. I think that's funny, but that's true. The American dream is really about his wants, his needs, his dream. They become my dream. His will becomes my will. Man, I desire more about God today and what he wants than I do for myself. And I don't say that like, oh, pat myself on the back. It's because my desires are minimizing what I desire. I don't need to run home and watch the U.S. Open, and I love golf. My desire is to be with his people in his kingdom. And I'm walking away from fantasy football and addiction to sports. Not quite, but I'm getting better. But that's the blessing. More of him, less of me, that's the true meaning of life. You know, God's not really the God of removing obstacles in our life. He can, he has, but a lot of times he's the God that teaches us how to go through them and in that process, refine us. Build us to a better image of him through us and in us. And here's the beautiful thing about God. He might be working on something right now in your life. And you might be so frustrated with your kids or your parents or uh, your pastor preaching at you right now. But he might be in the middle of making something miraculous in your life. I get to this verse quite a bit in my readings, and I want to read it today. There's a point in the Apostle Paul just kind of seems like he's teaching about frustration and fear, and he's not. But when, when I get to this place, it just reminds me of so much how the Apostle Paul wants us to understand God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, I love this part. It says, when I think of this, I fall to my knees, and I pray to the Father, the creator of heaven and earth. I fall down, and I pray, and I really think, I pray from his glorious, unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit to walk out of frustration walk out of anger walk out of fear and into a place that you are truly fulfilled in Jesus Christ I fall to my knees in a place of reverence for who he is and I tap into this unlimited resource and then it says then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. This is the best part. I don't think we understand this and we're not supposed to understand it, but it's something that we're supposed to understand the best we can. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. You know, there was a moment when me and my sister, we hiked up to this temple on Nepal. And you could just see for miles. And I was sitting there and thinking about God's love. And his, he said, my love's more than you can see. And if we got into a spaceship and got to see the earth, he says, my love's farther than you can see. And if we got outside the galaxies, it's even farther than that. And if you can just understand a little bit of that, he will start to bring fulfillment in you. I've said this a couple times at church. There was a moment when I made a decision that I'm just one little piece of sand in this beach of life. And once I accepted that I'm just that little pebble, I understand how much God loved me. And I started to live 
in his love and filled, being fulfilled. This is what verse 19 says. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. May you experience the love of Christ. It's too great to understand, so quit trying to figure it out. Then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and the power, and the power that comes from God. As we are transformed from this place of being frustrated and angered to fulfillment, we experience less frustration, less control, and we have this joy-filled freedom. We're filled. Let me give you four takeaways that we talked about. Three of these we talked about. The third one we've been using um, in staff a lot recently. Number one is people, places, and things will not fulfill your life. They're a gift, but they are not the source. Number two, keep short accounts. If you're frustrated a lot today, you've got to keep short accounts. Number three, this is the one that we've been working at in our staff and in my family, is don't eat your emotions. Don't eat your feelings. Be honest and open as much as you can. It'll, it'll give you the ability to experience God a little bit more. And the fourth one, seek God, trust God, and learn to give it to God. And I promise you, he will resolve whatever frustration you've dealt with. This summer, we're going to have a great, amazing summer series talking about the 12 apostles. It should be really fun. We've got a bunch of speakers that are going to speak. But I want to close kind of talking about the last few verses or the last few sermons that we've heard. If you really want to be fulfilled in your life, if you want to come to the end of something and start something new and live this fulfilled life with Christ, you need to uh, be obedient instead of disobedient. You need to live a truthful life instead of a fault and instead of the falsehoods of this world. We need to be growing instead of dormant. We need to be open versus obstructed and blocked. We need to be forgiving versus unforgiving. We need to be healed versus that wounded mindset and that wounded place that's deep within our hearts. We need to be adopted and remember that Abba Father comes into our heart and builds us up as children of God. We aren't abandoned. And I promise you, if you understand all of those, you won't be frustrated and angered, but you will live a life of fulfillment with Christ. And that happens one second at a time and then a minute and then an hour and then one day you'll go man this was the best day I've had in a long time because you've practiced perfection in Jesus Christ and you're starting to live in the fulfillment of who he is let's just bow our heads today you know if you feel at some point that today has spoke to you and you are walking out of frustration or want to we have what we call a new believers table it's called pathways or a re-engage table it's like I'm going to take my faith this summer to another level it's back there on uh, the, the left side stage right I don't know somewhere back there just look for it it's called pathways please go back there and communicate we'd love for you to uh, engage but if you're here today and you feel frustrated and you feel angered I know that the father wants to re release you from so let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and ask for you to do a work in us. Release us from anger and frustration. Fill us up with your glory. Lord, forgive all those fathers that have made mistakes like myself. Give us grace and mercy. Lord, I ask for an anointing to all the fathers that feel less than and feel distant. 
pray that today they will hear from that prodigal child and they will watch God do great work. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you want to accept him, you want to become part of his plan and accept him as a father, say this prayer. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior. You died and you rose again for my eternal life, for my salvation. Thank you, Lord. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit today and teach me how to walk in your ways now until I meet you in eternity. We love you, King Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.